To Supernatural The Crossroads here on Cross Rayman Digital Crossroads 003. I am your host, Thomas Cowley. Joined with me today is Ryan Denton yeah. and Michael Flores. And today we are talking about Season 14, Episode 6, Optimism. Now, we had Richard Spate Jr. return to direct his second episode of the season, which is rather quick. Uh, he's done about two episodes a season since Season 12. So with him having done two within the first six makes us think that he's got to be doing more. He's got to be more involved this year, perhaps as a director. About time he did something more <laughs> than previous seasons past. So he's he, tired of jumping around that SBN convention stage yeah. with a microphone. He's all, let me do something productive. Let me actually do something and listen to loud and swain all the time. Stop hosting conferences and, and do some directorial work. Why is Richard Spate a Red Dead Redemption character? I don't know. I, Y'all come back now. You hear never what? Has won, and now he's Yosemite Sam. <laughs> <laughs> but it's it's interesting to see that he's done two episodes so far, knowing this season's only 20 episodes total. He's been one of our favorite directors since season 12. It's easily possible that he'll be doing a lot more this season than he has before. And it might be because this season was the first time he's worked with writer Steve Yaki, who is it Yaki or Yoki? What I can the, never what, what's pronounce. This, I can what's never this motherfucker's last name? It's Yoki. When Yoki. there's an when there's an e, that's a second to last Yoki. letter. What does that mean for the second letter? Don't in act the word? like I remember phonetics and grammar from junior year of high school. How come Ryan and Thomas are both confused right now by no, I, by I, basic? All you gotta tell you is oh, spelling it's, techniques it's that you learn in second grade. <laughs> It's Yoki. That's all you got to say. You don't have to tell us the, the reasoning behind it. It's spelled Yoki. Just tell us that's what it said. All right. Fair enough. Thank you. Now, the, I think this spelling is the first for idiots. Spelling for Spelling idiots. for morons. It's our Thank side you. show that Ryan and I do. Yes. <laughs> the Patreon special. <laughs> 50 cents. Yeah. No, but it, no one would listen to that. You get it for free. That's basically what, what it is. But I think this is the first time Richard Spates directed one of his scripts, if I'm not mistaken. And I don't know. I thought it came out pretty good. Richard Spate has done a very good job with challenging himself. Yes. He's he's done oh, sure. comedy sure. with just your imagination. He did a Tarantino-esque episode. He's done true horror. He's done 
the the Kill Bill homage. He's done all kinds of things. He he doesn't come in and and expect it to be autopilot. Yeah, he right. doesn't dilly dally. He, he yeah. really wants to bring his own unique flair to every episode he we directs. We just we just need a, a love story episode, and Ooh, hey, we've got a rom com. Oh. Yeah, a rom com. A rom com's next. Yes. Oh, hey, dude, it might be because now he ta- he tapped into maybe Charlie and um, Claire. Can, oh, please don't be the love story. That's not a weird Claire. age gap. I, I don't even want, I don't know. Why is that a weird age gap? She's 18. She's like yeah. 23. <laughs> There's grass in the Claire's field. 23. Charlie is what? 57? Yeah. 58. <laughs> wait, wait. How old is she? No, I'm, I meant 47. How, 57. She's 47. Wow. <laughs> and now Felicia Day will never interview with us. Well, no, I didn't mean that. I meant, I meant, I meant, what did I say? <laughs> you said 57. I meant 37 is what I meant. Not even 40. She's the same Felicia age Day's as 39. Uh, yeah. Okay. She's the same age as Jensen. That's what I was trying to. Uh-huh. Yeah. You fucked that up. I fucked up. <laughs> you, hey guys, just so you know, Mike might be having a stroke all night. We're not mm. sure exactly what's or going on. Or he hasn't on. been drinking enough. He needs, yeah. a, he needs a moderate buzz. Someone get him some box wine and he'll be okay. <laughs> yeah. Or some tomato juice and some vodka and that'll straighten me right <laughs> yeah, there up. There you go. Yep. Yeah. Viagra just straightens you up too. Oh, Jesus. Thank you, Ryan, for that. I like how he makes himself spit out food and water. Yeah. He's like, like, I'm so funny. I'm still going to take a drink and well, then laugh as I spit I it mean, out. I mean, I am pretty funny. So <laughs> why people remember it. me and not you, Thomas. Yeah, and they make fun of you in a whole episode. That's fine. I, <laughs> you're just still bitter that you weren't in an episode. Yeah. I got the title screen sequence this year. That's right? true. That, that's true. That's true. <laughs> No, Richard Spade has done a great job challenging himself, and this time he he tapped into some of those old 60s, 50s through 70s insect horror that was really big with Roger Corman and those, those style of movies back in the day. Yeah. While also having his, a bit of a romance, kind of, actually was this episode a little bit of a rom-com with Jack because of how fucking hilarious I, his character is i was kind of hoping that he would shack up with the with the chick dude you were hoping so that he'd ho- have a castiel season yeah. eight kind of thing so where am i supposed to put this that's oh, what that would have been a great scene <laughs> where dude. am i supposed to put- where's this supposed to go <laughs> i love how he was like hey dean i need to know everything about sex go yeah it was funny that was, that was awesome dude. it was good not gonna lie but overall thomas i know where you were trying to take this discussion and what I was direction trying, and then ryan uh, i derailed it I feel like the consistency is continuing. The writers are are very much intent on keeping things a bit more seamless this season. And it's working to keep the pacing of the season tight. And even though this episode was more about Charlie and Jack, they still took those needed moments for Dean that does really help with maintaining that cohesive feel that we have, have spoken about now going on five, six episodes. So right. for the most part, this season has really focused on Sam and Dean and they shifted the spotlight this week to focus on Jack and as a character and set up what seems like I would say a subplot that involves him and this necromancer girl. That's not going anywhere. The way they left it open ended, it's going to it's, it's going to lead continue. to something. It's not dead. Yes. Right. <laughs> I actually, ha, Funny I actually joke. am looking forward to that a little bit and we'll, yeah. we'll discuss that later in the episode. But you're right. It has been Sam and Dean centric. For the first five episodes, we've praised that because those characters that have been there at the time have been great supporting characters. This time it kind of shifts to where the focus is on Jack and a alternate universe Charlie. However, they still are supporting stuff that's going on in Sam and Dean's life and vice versa. Yeah, and it needed to be done with Charlie. 
Absolutely. Wh- whatever your thoughts are on Charlie and AU Charlie or fake Charlie, they needed to kind of reintroduce this new version of Charlie to the audience because last season it was simply dumped on us. Hey yeah. guys, oh, this is Charlie. Charlie. And even Sam hugged her like it was Charlie. Yeah. And they were so like almost forgetting the Charlie that actually died in their the world. established universe for them. Yeah. That these guys are from a different plane of well, existence. They did it. They did it again. This is something we talked about with fake Bobby, but they did a really nice job in this episode of kind of fleshing her out, making her a little bit different than, um, you know, our dramatically Charlie. different D- dramatic. Yeah. I mean, there are a few similarities, but ultimately it was nice to, to see that she was more subdued. She wasn't, <laughs> I'm Felicia day. <laughs> you know, like that wasn't her. <laughs> Yeah, she was different. Yeah. She, she, she no, actually, I, I did Felicia like that actually a played a different. Yes. Yeah. And I think we had talked about that, too, when she showed up last season. We were like, she can't just be the same Charlie we the, know. Yes. She cannot be the same person because it, it it's not the same person. Well, so, And also with 15 years of the apocalypse, hellscape, war-torn earth going on, to to think that she's going to make the same D&D references is just... It would be silly. It'd be silly. It wouldn't make it. It doesn't sense. feel right. And our Charlie's gone to... Oz, another separate plane of existence. So for her to have those same mannerisms after becoming yeah. more of a badass at that point in season 10, it, badass. It, it just wouldn't work. So I do think it was a good thing that they did. They they reintroduced her in a way that worked. It made and sense. With all of that, we also got a little bit of new lore this week, which I think is always fun for us hardcore fans. The fact that the show can still bring in new concepts, new creatures, and and costume designs 15 years in the making is is fun. It's great. Even though we got – even though the horror that, that what was introduced is definitely completely schlocky. B-film for film sure. Stuff. Again, Roger Corman era, that, that – it's a guy with a mask, and that's well, essentially what the villain is. But that was, it was, it was still was, fun. Yes, it was supposed to be that, though. That was the whole point. Look at the goddamn monster. It was wearing a fucking mosquito net over its head. It's supposed yeah. to be goofy. That was and the I whole think, point. I think some of that is not just Steve Yoki's humor that we've seen throughout his episodes being yeah. brought in, but Richard Spate Jr.'s humor as well. Like, hey, how can we have fun with this character idea that... We want to save that reveal of what it actually looks like for when it attacks. Right. What's something that we could do that's funny, that's in the same vein as those old style movies that we can have fun with. I, I think it worked pretty well for being such a kind of bizarre concept. Yes, I agree. Because, but at the same time, I really loved that. And I'll, I'll get into that with our full-on discussion. Um, and we also got a little bit new insight to necromancy. It, it's well, a this whole is our, separate thing. Now. Yeah, our first full-blown necromancer in in general we've had the thules probably the only close thing outside of that but they had a whole secret organization with an ulterior motive and and agenda and outside of that any zombies or resurrections have been from witches and how they've how they've brought something back so it's a little different this time ultimately we got a lot we got some new established characters with alternate universe charlie we got some additional jack scenes which are always fun we got some new lore all of that was was fun for this episode but we'll get into that discussion later of course we've always got news first so fly in the room ryan will you please take it away we've got an article sorry um really yeah I, I had to go there all right guys so this article I, i'm gonna preface i just just take your personality fine, out of it for a moment fine. i'll read the article all right uh, Supernatural stars Jensen Ackles and Jared Padalecki want to resolve this dangling subplot. 
Uh, during the red carpet celebrating Supernatural's upcoming 300th episode tonight uh, in Vancouver, which I don't think that was tonight, but whatever, mm-hmm. um, they caught up with members of comicbook.com and urging uh, from Adam P. Nave, or Nave, Nave, I think. Sure. We asked both actors who uh, play the Winchester brothers the same question. How's their half-brother, Adam, who Sam and Dean long ago abandoned in hell doing in that cage? Uh, I don't know. Series star Jensen Ackles admitted. I'd like to ask him. Maybe there's a white courtesy phone we could pick up and get straight line to him. That's something that needs to be touched on, and it might be, but we'll have to see. Uh, that's a great question. His on-screen brother, Jared Pettel, like he said, uh, I'd do anything for Jake Abel back. He's a dear friend and an amazing actor and an amazing man. I'll do uh, I'll do anything to work with him again. Um, and then, of course, for those of you who don't know, Adam was a half brother to Sam and Dean from season five. I think anybody who's watching season 14 absolutely knows that it's something that has been talked about both on this show and within the fandom and joked about in the 200th episode metafiction, which is the last time he was referenced. Yeah. yeah. Here's the thing. It has to be finished at some point, whether or not you like Adam, because I personally don't care for the character. He was just kind of there to give, a few episodes or maybe give Michael a way to show up without Dean having to be the one who said yes for the whole vessel at that time in season five, it still needs to be resolved in one way or another. Yeah. You just basically, you know, have him die in hell off screen and boom, we don't care. Like it just, he's gone. (laughs) He disappears. I don't care, man. I just don't. The thing that I'm curious about is if they do do something with it, right? He's been in hell for millennia. Essentially, point. yeah, at this point. Like, he'd be so far gone. Twisted. It, and... It'd be something that God himself would have to show up and, quote, fix. There's no one else who could undo the damage Well, and Mara brain. could just make him, like, cease to exist. We could have that happen. And maybe that's, you know, it all comes back to the final episode. Everyone has a big old family reunion, and then they erase Adam from existence yeah. and move on. Yeah, just go back in time and erase Adam, and then we don't <laughs> have to worry about him anymore. It's just one of those things that I always felt like it was... It was a last minute idea to, to, and it just, it's, it always felt like that to me with having Adam be a, you know, half brother and it just, it always bugged me. And, and that's why I never really cared for the character. And I mean, you're right, Thomas, it does have to be resolved essentially before the series ends, but right now I'm okay with him being in hell and he can just stay there for now and just not get <laughs> mentioned. Like I just, just ever, ever, like honestly, what else do we need to resolve? He's in the I, cage. I think, I, I think him and our own in-universe, Michael, I'd like to have some answers or some wrap-up to that. Forgetting what you feel about the I actor, know, right? it does not make sense at all, to just at all, there. for yeah. Sam and Dean, who's all about family, to it's say, like, yeah, fuck him. Eh, fuck him. But does it, do they really I'm, even care that he, like, he's half-brother? They never got to know him. Listen, if he they, was care, just about, there for a couple if they care about that useless plot device, Rose, whatever that woman, girl is, that keeps getting in trouble, that Lucifer <laughs> brought back to life, what's her name, Maggie? Oh, if God, they care yeah. about useless plot device, Maggie, Maggie, no, it's your then eight, they should dying. definitely care about their half-brother, for sure. Yeah, but he's been it down there so long, they forgot. Who no, gives it, a I, shit? I agree that it needs to be resolved. It doesn't uh, make any sense that Sam and Dean will die for anybody they meet within five minutes to the point to where him. to the point where they they run, go run he's, and hug um, A.U. Felicia Day's character, Charlie. Yeah. He's technically but, dead. But hey, whatever. It, Eh, brothers in the eh, whatever i mean it was the talk about making even worse was when in season six when death actually asked 
Dean, which one? And he chose Sam over him, which is no, a given. Didn't, didn't miss a heartbeat. Yeah, which is a given. I mean, who? of course he's going to choose Sam, but they kind of fucked him over enough. Yeah. It's time it to. It needs to be resolved. It needs to be right. resolved. When, they're, the, when they will throw down life and limb for a bunch of fucking strangers from an apocalypse universe, and Maggie, who's the worst hunter, it seems, ever. No, that's Claire. But, she, she constantly gets in trouble and, and caught and is near death. So, what have, have you. But. There has to be some resolve to it. My biggest question is how are they going to make it make sense for Sam and Dean to have just been like, yeah, we didn't really give a shit for the last 10 years. Really and you know shit. what? The That's argument the that so thing. many the argument that so many of the fandom had about, oh, John's an asshole while he was out hunting and leaving the kids alone. He's fucking I'm like, well, Mary Winchester's doing the goddamn same thing. She's only known John was gone for less than a year. She, she's getting dick. And she nine months catch. after. Yeah. Not even. Not even, dude. Hell yeah. She getting dick. And listen, down. I don't give Catching a shit. That but I'm catch just dick. Oh. And I listen, I, I don't give a shit, but I'm just saying that it, there's it's double, it's double standards. standards. Yeah. Absolutely. A lot is. of people blasted that whole aspect of John Winchester and that he made another family. And I'm like, well, the guy was single. Yo, Mary's been dead for how many years? He was single and raised. Like he, uh, he still took care of them to some degree. He didn't just completely fucking abandon fuck and abandon I either. Mean, I, yeah. So. And, and he took What's the guy's name? I don't even Adam. know his name. And they took, he took Adam to a baseball game. That's a, yeah. that's a sleep fest. You know, that's a snoozer. <laughs> you know, if he took him to a hockey game or a football or basketball, then Come I might on, be pissed. Come on, son. Let's go to a baseball game. Yeah. America's Peanuts favorite pastime is boring as fuck. Let's be honest. <laughs> well, I, I think ultimately they will touch on it. The fact that Sam or Jared and Jensen have talked about it is going to happen. So we're going to take a quick break and we're going to get into our discussion in just a moment. The Rain Man Show. The Rain Man Show. Please, uh, we got a gem something. from Florida. Uh, okay. Pensacola woman mistakes 37 week pregnancy for bad Chinese food. <laughs> what? <laughs> she was actually 37 weeks pregnant. She was on the verge of giving birth to her second son. She's already been pregnant before. You Dude, this idiot. is like, how were you drunk the entire pregnancy before this? Probably. So, uh, she called off work at 5 a.m. and an hour later, as the pain worsened, she woke her fiance up because they needed to call an ambulance. The stomach, the stomach pains were excruciating and I could hardly move. I think it was about 6.30 a.m. Wake up! This goddamn orange chicken's ripping a hole in me! Hold on, wake up, Jan! Wake up! I think I eat too much at the local Chinese buffet! I told you too much of that moose shoe pork was gonna do this! Oh, please! I I need to go with the emergency room! Please! One time I heard my cousin Elvira tell me something similar happened to her. She ate at the local little Chinese restaurant and she almost died. She had cream with so young guy. Um, I should have had the steamed rice. <laughs> it escalated so quickly that I was having contractions and we figured out kind of what was going on because at first we really didn't know what was going on. But there was a doctor that... Uh, she said it was possible for a woman to learn of her pregnancy just hours before going into labor, but in her 20 years of practice, she's only witnessed it three times. Oh, please. Something's happened to my, my bowels. My bowels? You gotta take me to the emergency room, Jethro, please. I don't know what's happening. Oh, good All right, golly, get, get in the goddamn airboat. We'll drive on down to the local. For some reason, the Chinese buffets come. 
thebigshow.com. This is Star Wars from the Bucket Tank Exclusive. Not forget the the holiday special and the Ewok movies. They want to bitch about the gar- <laughs> the alleged garbage we're getting. Let's not forget the Ewok specials. Yeah, those Ewok specials and the holiday special. You guys got have you forgotten that? I mean, I'm still trying to figure out who the fuck Sendel is. Like who? Sendel. <laughs> <laughs> wow, that's a that that was a that was a pull from the vault. Was that was that her name? Yeah, it was Sendel. I don't know how. That's like muscle memory, Dave. <laughs> that should show everyone I'm a true Star Wars fan. The fact that I can just think Ewok special, boom, Sindel. <laughs> and the fact that suddenly Wicket could speak English. Yeah, that's that's the thing that baffled me. It was like, how do you explain that? <laughs> Crossroads Videocast is here. Retrospective reviews, discussions, theories, and geek out. All available when you pledge $10 or more a month to our Patreon account. Same show, just more of it. Head over to patreon.com slash Digital to pledge. Free stuff is awesome, but free stuff that will spice up your bedroom is even better. Just go to adamandeve.com and select almost any one item for 50% off, and then we'll load on the free stuff. Just enter this very exclusive code, DEAL30, at checkout, and you'll get 10 tantalizing free gifts, including a sexy item for him, a special toy for her, and a third item you'll both enjoy. And for your viewing pleasure, six free spicy movies on DVD, plus free shipping. Always sent in discreet packaging. So go to adamandeve.com now. Get 50% off plus 10 free gifts when you enter the exclusive offer code DEAL30. Again, that's DEAL30 because without it, no free stuff. That's DEAL30 at adamandeve.com. Get more Supernatural The Crossroads every month with the Patreon-exclusive shows. Retrospective reviews starting with the very first season, specialty shows, bonus discussions with additional thoughts and topics not included in the regular show, all by subscribing, and you help maintain the quality of our show, and it keeps us in the studio. So head on over to patreon.com slash Digital and subscribe. Previously on Supernatural The Crossroads... That that changes Purposeful. things. Yeah, absolutely. Well, once again, we're going to see again. him, right? Yeah, soon. Yeah, and, and that's how you bring a character back. Yeah, not yep. just hey guys, I was in the area, still <laughs> hunting. Hey, I'm back. <laughs> good what thing my fuck? good thing I could get into the bunker still, like everyone else that can fucking get in the bunker, even though it's supposed to be warded. <laughs> I would take fake Bobby's key away. Yeah, <laughs> I would flush it down the toilet. Outside. Go fuck yourself or my mom, whichever. Oh. Yeah, in that cabin, even though you're hurt, you're still gonna fuck her. His dick ain't I hurt. I hope she fucks you. Yeah, with your four-inch dick. Oh. Our Bobby's got a nine-incher. 
<laughs> it's rotted because he's dead. What would dead. change that? Like atmospheric conditions of the yeah, AU well, world? Yeah, you have to think of the like AU pollution, world. His, maybe, staunch your penis growth. His, his penis thing did big because his wife's dead. So like now he hasn't had to, he hasn't, <laughs> wow. he hasn't had to use it. the worst wow. science ever. Just let me finish. My, my dick me, didn't get big because finish. my wife died. He, he hasn't had to use it in years. So it's shriveled it's back up. Yeah. Is that what you're explaining? Yeah. Jesus Christ. Yeah. You can only whack off so many times, dude. I'm sorry to tell you this, sir, but you have atrophied dick. It's it's irreversible. It's irreversible. I'm sorry. You're going to be stuck at four inches forever. Oh, man. That would suck. How would that feel, Thomas? So I would say wow, that, really? that dick growth goes on much longer, much farther past the age of like 40, it's, 50 it's years like, old. Your penis is still growing. It's the same. That means if I you, still have a chance then. The more boners it, you get. It's called, if you don't use it, you lose it. Oh, oh my God. God. Do not take medical advice from Ryan. <laughs> <laughs> it's essentially the 40-year-old virgin with that knowledge. Yeah. If you, is it true that if you don't use it, you lose it? Yeah. It's According to, you know, our Bobby compared to, you know, fake Bobby, that's how it works. Jesus. Why he has a fork? Whenever someone uses you know within a five-second, <laughs> like, like just like Tony does, you, you know that whatever he's about to say is not true. <laughs> Welcome back, everybody. Supernatural, The Crossroads. Now we're going to get into our discussion of Season 14, Episode 6, Optimism. Ryan, can you give us a synopsis, please? Yes, this was directed by Richard Spade Jr. and written by Steve Yockey. Uh, synopsis. Sam goes on a hunt with Charlie Bradbury and has to confront that she is not the same Charlie he lost. Dean and Jack investigate a series of possible monster-related deaths. So Steve Yockey showed up for this one. Uh, the guy has done a phenomenal job establishing himself as a writer during Dab's run. He came across with season 12 and much like Davy Perez and, and Meredith Glynn, all these new faces on the scene, new voices for the supernatural lore and the show that we've loved. He's really done a great job proving that he belongs here, that he is somebody who understands the fandom, somebody who understands horror, somebody who understands a lot of what we as fans of this show, the, the very DNA of this show is built on. Um, going back to some of his previous episodes, we've got Celebrating the Life of Asa Fox, Lily Sunder Has Some Regrets, Twigs and Twine and Tasha Baines, Advanced Thanatology, Various and Sundry Villains, Funeralia, and now Optimism. Dude, those are all like episodes we were totally into for for a new writer to have three episodes a season is pr is a pretty big deal and with all of them except maybe one in my opinion personally all of them have been fucking great and even the one that wasn't up to the same par was still pretty good and had some really strong character moments yeah and all the new writers have had style to some degree but i think with steve he he like Meredith Glynn, has something that he's very good at or or is very meaningful to him that he likes to bring about in each one of his stories. And for him, his personal style is a, a mix of two things. Sadness, one, just sad-ass shit, as well as the absurd. And he also seems to be introducing new lore to us with almost every episode, he's had the ability to write. Yep, just about every single episode, the guy has expanded the universe of Supernatural. And, and, and essentially, a As Monster a of the Week episode and a new writer. That's huge to be like, yeah, here you go. You can you can weave more webs throughout the cosmos with advanced thanatology, and you can introduce new and horrifying monsters with 
uh, Twigs and Twine and Tasha Baines, and then Existential Crisis that is soon to happen, I hope, with those the, with the twins coming back into play. I, I want to see what happened with that. Yeah. That was so dark. That was a, that was a cool episode. Yeah. And, you know, in many respects, a lot of writers can easily go their entire career and never manage to create their own signature style. A lot of, not so much for Supernatural, it seems, but a lot of writers for a lot of other shows just kind of go through the motions. They write and never really do much in making something unique or their own. When we see Robert Barron's has written an episode, we we know certain things we're going to get from him. And Steve is a great example of that, too. He sticks to the same literary devices. He sticks to the same themes and motifs, the same archetype. He's managed to stick to something he knows and carve out a little niche for himself within this writing room. Yeah, and personally, I like when writers do these types of things. I rather them create identifiable markers that you that can, are their own that are their own and that way you can pick out their work a good concept or high concept director would be someone like scorsese mm-hmm. quentin tarantino robert rodriguez rob zombie i can go on and on but those are the types of directors Your that you ones. look at them and say i know this is a tarantino film i know well, you this know is a scorsese you know film. What to expect going into it yeah spielberg and, and you know you can actually just flip it on like i can this feels tarantino-esque yeah. or this feels like a spielberg movie and this is what a lot of these writers are doing now in the writing room they're they creating style they're, they're creating their own styles and that's one thing that i can definitely say that i really like about dab is that dab's allowing these writers to spread their wings and develop themselves as writers and and he's allowing them to gravitate to the things they like um and obviously uh yoki has a has a thing for death and absurd monsters and i feel mm-hmm. oh, uh, not death sadness and absurd Sad, monsters yes. and it's working those two combinations are really working for his episodes but you got to understand like the, one of the things you have to understand is if you're going into a yak uh, a yoki episode there's going to be someone's going to die yeah like that's or there's going to be some mm-hmm. twisted shit yes and i think that's <laughs> that but that is his style that is his style you go into this and, and like you said you look at this episode and go this is his this is what he does um and th- th- i don't think there's anything better than than you know I, I i dig every one of these episodes that's on his list i, I honestly i agree and i honestly feel like if you want to go through his body of work and say, well, this one isn't as strong, I don't think it comes down to the writing. It comes down to the director that that directed that episode yep. because he's consistent across the board with yeah. with, with all of his scripts. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, what we all loved, Twigs and Twine, Advanced Anatology. Like oh, these yeah. are all – all these episodes have that, that feel yeah. to them. Well, look at the, the emotionally driven episodes and see how they're centered around – loss for example Aza fox death it's a funeral lily sunder death her family was murdered twigs and twine death mother and sister died advanced thanatology suicide death of an innocent various and sundry villains ptsd rowena's fear of lucifer fear that cripples her uh funeralia loss and guilt rowena struggles with crowley's death there's a lot of similar themes there death suicide like all these really dark themes dude and i love it i love when somebody is willing to tap into that because it does it's something i feel like is a problem of today's society is we all are trying to erase all sense of emotion that's not happy feel good that's not realistic there's there's so much of only never be shamed never be sad never feel anything other than happy and i feel like that's 
unrealistic. That's unrealistic, and that's not fair, to, and it's not the human condition. What I like about Meredith Glynn and Steve Yoki is she hits on a lot of depressing things. We had a lot of of Alzheimer's and allusions to loss of memory and loss of who you are yep. over time. Well, Steve Yoki's are all about death and and the bitterness that that comes with the wanting to lash out. I mean, what not being able to prevent it. Rowena herself. Yeah tried to lashed out at death incarnate to try and gr- get her son back over the grieving loss. And only by facing and accepting that was she able to move on and be a stronger person. We see other characters in his stories like twigs and twine where I can never remember the, the guy's name, but the brother couldn't move past that. And so he did something pretty dark pretty to bring heinous. his sister back to him. That's some Shakespearean Greek tragedy level yep. shit. Yeah. Well, all of it, plays a central theme to his stories and it, they hit i think all the more something in this episode real quick was the the funeral kind of processions for the bug creature oh, i didn't yeah. expect that and i didn't expect that to hit he uses these same themes these same literary devices and that he used them to help push his narrative forward but they also and, give us some fun fucking moments in unexpected ways Yes. You didn't expect that ending. You I didn't. didn't really expect it. caught it. me off guard. And it said a lot. And we're going to get into that. We're going to put a yeah. pin in that. Yeah, but yeah. it says a lot. Because for a while, I yeah. was tr- I was kind of, <laughs> I was struggling with that ending. I'm like, what, I what liked are, it. What, no, I do like it. But I had to think about it. I'm like, okay, what are they saying? What are they doing here? And it made sense after I I, uh, I have a funny, meditated about it. I have a funny thing about that. But I'll, I'll mention it later because it's kind of, it's relatable. All Where right. I think with the way Yoki does this and, and, and puts himself in realistic grief that people, relatable ex- grief, yeah, relatable yeah. grief. And yeah. I think we talk about, <clears throat> we talk about villains all the time being relatable. And we talk about subplots and plots being relatable. If everything was happy, go lucky. Supernatural wouldn't exist. Yeah. This show wouldn't That's exist. That's a good and, point. And I think w- with the things that Sam and Dean go through and e- even what we see in this episode of what Jack is going through, these are relatable situations that, you know, death, suicide, PTSD, these are things that happen on a daily basis in real life. So for us, we're able to relate to what is going on in this episode and it makes it that much more of a, it makes it dark, but it also makes us feel like we're a part of the it episode. It makes you feel Yes. And that's the thing is that one thing I, I loved about his very first episode, and I'm not even sure if I talked about it, it's just been having seen his body of work and thinking about it more. Ace of Fox, we've always seen hunters thrown on a funeral pyre and they stand somberly looking into the flames and then they move on. Oh, very Star because Wars it's very much yeah. Star Wars, very much a the soldier died on the battlefield and we have to keep going. Yeah, honorable but death. with Ace of Fox, that is real life. That is, you have loved ones come and share stories and reminisce about who they were and grieve together. Yoki does a great job of bringing humanity there to we go. Supernatural. There we go. That's the word I was looking for. Spot on. That's it, exactly right. You know, with each one of his things, you're like, you, you watch him and you're like, holy fuck. I can completely understand where this character's coming from. Whether that's Lily Sunder sacrificing her own soul because of the rage she carries for her loss of her family, the the brother of the Baines twins not being willing to let her go, which again I still think would be a fantastic fucking spinoff, but neither here nor there. I mean, yeah, he brings humanity to Supernatural in a way that that few people can or or have is is his own unique style. I, I like that a lot. 
And again, we still get some absurd fun moments, which does speak to some of his style as well as Richard Spate Jr. And in this episode, we talked about how Jack and Charlie are, are more the focal point rather than Sam and Dean. With this week, we have Charlie used as that emotional element. She, too, has suffered loss, and we get a little bit of that look, a glimpse behind the curtain, in a way that fleshed out Apocalypse Charlie's personality. And they made a very distinct point that she is a very different person. She's the same person, quote, but she's a very different person than the Charlie they are used to. Well, I also liked a lot that they made it a point for this Charlie to say that wasn't me, me. Yeah. And, Repeatedly. It was, and it was defensive. It wasn't like, that's not me. Don't talk about me like that. That's right. not me. Because that number one does a few things. Imagine you being introduced to this new world and these people who obviously love you and they care for you. Yeah. The amount of pressure be weird, that dude. puts on you. Yeah. Because like, they're strangers listen, to you. That's not me. Don't expect me. I don't want to live in this person's shadow. Right. It says so much. And for them to finally. Well, it's realistic. It's realistic. And just finally, and I know I'm going to take some heat here, but finally give Felicia Day something that she can sink her fucking teeth in. And not be Felicia Day. And not be Felicia Day. Yeah. It was such a good moment for her. Well, that her. was our original problem with Charlie to begin with, is that it was it was Felicia Day playing a character as Felicia Day. And I think that was the that was the ultimate problem with this Charlie and, and and Mike, I was going to bring that up, is that she constantly, that's not me. Yeah, it was great. I loved how she re- reinforced that repeatedly. And it does feel like the writers are paying more attention this season. Season 13 felt like they were going with the events that happened and forgot characterization. They brought back Bobby and they brought back Charlie. It's great. You love her. Oh, wait, this is a different entity. This is a different person entirely. Mm-hmm. And it's only now that they are between the last episode with Bobby and this episode with Charlie, reinforcing the fact that they are very different people. These are not our friends and family and our beloved ones that we've known for 14 years, four years, however long it's been. These are strangers in a strange world for them. You know, to quote the beginning episode, strangers in a strange world. And I, you're right, Ryan. I loved how she kept making a point. It wasn't, but it was defensive. Like I'm not her. Do not expect me to stand up and do things for you the same way she would. She would die for you. You're a stranger to I me. I ain't dying for you. I, I think Mike put it in such a, a really good way of looking at it is that you're living in this person's shadow. You know, I don't. If, Can you imagine? If, if, right. I like, wouldn't want to come in and have that, that. that pressure and yeah. be like, yo, look, look, dude, I don't even know you. Like, yeah. Don't expect me to die for you. I'm I not don't jumping in front of a bullet, dude. Like, I don't know you. Now, a year or two from now, maybe. But for now, I'm not jumping in front of a bullet yeah. for you, dude. Like, and I think that's, I, I think that's the problem. It was one of the most realist moments we've had with her character. Yes, yep. and, and I think in th- years with with this whole apocalypse universe and bringing these characters back, this is the problem that you run into is that everyone expects them to be the character, and even subconsciously as a fan, you're like, you expect them to be the character you know, and oh, he did the same thing that our other one did, so it's got to be the same, like, or she did, you know. And I think mm-hmm. that's. That's where the, the you run into a problem. And they did a really good job in this episode of fleshing that out and saying, look, I, I may look like this person. I may have some similar traits, but this is not me. Right. And I don't want you to expect me to be doing things that 
that person would do. Yeah. This episode was just an example of a, a very well thought out narrative. Yes. I mean, even using the title of the episode as part of your narrative, which is something that Supernatural doesn't always do. Some of my favorite TV shows do this, though. They mm-hmm. they use that title. Optimism was really about Charlie accepting her place in this new world and maintaining optimism despite the loss that she and everyone else incurred. The idea of this episode was was actually smart and clever. For uh, and again, I I'll be honest, I groaned a bit when I saw Felicia Day was going to be starring, just because not because I because what her, you were afraid they were going to just do because again. I know what they've done with her in the past, and outside of maybe Pac Man Fever and the first time we've seen her, there really wasn't a lot of real development. She was kind of just dropped in on us for for Felicia Day moments, for fan service, and yeah. to see that they actually use this episode as a way to. Uh, I, I guess setting up our side players opposed to last season, like you mentioned, Thomas, where they just dropped them new in. people were just dropped in and, and, and never really cultivated them. So uh, the yeah. moments we had with Charlie were intentionally designed to set her up for later use, either this season or next, and bring a bit of realism and relatability to her character that that, in my opinion, wasn't always there, at least for me. Well, again, to, to Yoki's credit, he brings humanity to the show with his episodes with his characters you're absolutely right because i i'll fully admit i too was apprehensive about charlie felicia day returning in this week's episode i felt from what i had seen in season 13 they're perhaps going to fall into bad habits and just be like it's charlie again rather than what they did so when they had the established fact that she's a very very different person with a different past even though some similarities were there I liked that because it shows self-awareness for your characters, for your story, that this isn't just, hey, we'll fill them in the blanks because we know you love them. Move on past it. It's a different person. Yeah. The way they contrasted and the the parallels between Charlie original and Charlie Apocalypse universe was very interesting. To see that they were both doing similar things. They were on similar paths. They both worked at Roman Enterprises, which I loved that. Oh, not Well, that Mike, gives me a chance that Mike Roman got survived. Rock <laughs> Mike got rock hard. Dick that. Roman survived the apocalypse uh, somehow. Uh, Mike got, Mike's dick got hard at the mention of dick. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> he got a big old veiny bastard going. But the fact that they, they both worked at Roman Enterprises and that fate or destiny or, or what have you will still play a role in their life that they got thrown into this lifestyle, whether that was because Sam and Dean needed help or because the apocalypse took off because Sam and Dean weren't alive in that universe. Either way, it plays a role in her life of bringing her into the supernatural element. But at the same time, they made such a big distinction that she is very different. She had a love of her life. She had different aspirations. She is far more reserved and not this quirky guest starring Felicia Day that was our first complaint when she showed up again in season eight with the LARP and the Real Girl episode. So we do have to give kudos to Felicia Day. Absolutely. Playing it subtle, a reserved, a calm Charlie, which we've never seen never, before. Never. Even in Pac-Man Fever where it was real. It got serious, it but got, it wasn't reserved. Right. She, there was a subtleness to her performance. A shotgun with an eye patch, for Christ's sake. Yeah. There was, <laughs> I forgot about that. That's right. I mean, it was cool, it was flashy, it was stylized, it was fun, but it just, for me, it wasn't what 
it didn't justify. There's never been an episode for me that justified why Charlie was the bee's knees to everybody. Why was Charlie so important? Because it's Felicia Day. That's the, that was the problem. She right. she lived in her own legacy of yes. being that character from the guild, the geek girl. And yep. the geek girl died that out when character? G4 got shut down. The geek girl thing where it's cute to be or geeky that and silly. Caricature. Yeah, that whole idea, that died out years ago. It's it w- still a thing. Uh, not like that. Not like it was, but not it is, like she, that. It is she's the OG thing. of that. Yeah. yeah. So to see her grow and and play a character that's more weathered is it, that's kind of what I got. I got a, I got an she's idea that she's seen some yeah. shit. She yeah. has been through some shit. The and it was joy no, about Harry Potter and Hermione has been snuffed essentially if it ever was there. While she still may be a nerd to some degree and a programmer, she felt like a far more real person and not what Big Bang Theory did, which is, hey, look, this is a caricature of a nerd. Let's all laugh. This version of Charlie felt far more realistic. And and to be fair and objective, yes, it was better. What were there some heavy-handed moments with the yeah. discussions between yes. Sam and Charlie? Yes, there was. It was right on the nose. But you know what? I will take an occasional heavy-handed moment. For the purpose of development any day of the week over having Charlie 2.0 just be Felicia Day. Yeah. So I will take the the slight bad. A little, yeah. The slight bad with the myriads of good. A, a little bit of extra yeah. exposition for for the right reason. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Well, I mean, because let's let let's get real. Charlie was not Dean's wingman. Crowley. Yeah, was Dean's yeah, wingman okay. at the Black that, Star? When, when, Come on, I, yeah. I was a bit confused about that. The whole wingman aspect, and I don't even think they meant it like that. Like I, you're taking it I'm as taking to be. I took it out. I took it as to be a wingman as who's going to keep an eye on him. Yeah, who's going to keep an eye on him? Because Sam was worried. He said, "I'm worried about leaving him alone." Who was his wingman? You were. When? Yeah. When? When? when did we you never I saw always this. got more of Sam and Charlie were wingmans they were nerds they would delve into the lore they worked on trying to break the code of the book of the dam together for a while it was always more sam and charlie i would believe that more yes but there's so many better choices there's crowley if you want to point to a wingman Ca- there's crowley there's castiel's the obvious is the obvious choice i mean even benny for a season yeah, i mean yeah. if anything benny has more claim benny to being a more, wingman way more claim, than charlie right? so i i that's the only thing i don't get and i think that's the writer's Playing it up, trying to force what they want through. Oh, no, it totally happened like that. And maybe it's a little bit of, um, uh, what's the, star, um, starstruck. You know, a lot of people like Felicia Day. And maybe they're trying to do that glorified hero worship and really boost her up beyond what is really needed. But that one bit, that that threw me for a moment. And I had to to pause it. And then I recovered and said, you know what? It's not horrible. I I see what they're doing. They're trying to, they're trying to hand that baton over to this Charlie and, and let us know that she's here. But it was a shitty line. Let's be honest. It it was was a a little force. Yeah. It stuck out. Yeah. But I mean, overall, I think we can say that we were pretty happy with what they did with her with apocalypse charlie in this episode ultimately though ultimately is she needed no she's not but to me it's very much we brought her back with she's season here. 13 she's here we might as well we now, can't just yeah. have her off screen doing something we can't just have her be exactly the same character we know we have to address it so 
doing it this way in a meaningful way of her and Sam waiting hours on end for a monster show up and actually having a conversation about what he expects of her and who she truly is, that felt good. That was not contrived. It worked. All right. So Nicole Clark in the chat room says, I really liked other Charlie in this episode. She was different and badass and not about to let Sam forget that she wasn't who he knew. Sean says, how sad is it that they had to kill off the original Charlie and bring in this doppelganger to give her some depth? You guys are right. After the original Charlie went through, she never broke Felicia Day mode. Yeah, that's a fair point. It, it got caught up in the stardom of Felicia Day, and that was always our complaint here. Yep. Sharon Grayton says the wingman thing may have been just Sam stretching his argument. I, I Okay. Maybe. I can see that. Like I said, it's not a deal breaker. No, it just felt a little out of place from what we had seen, you know. Yeah. But we'll we'll come back to Charlie at some point. But let's talk about the monster this week. Kathy Taylor says, sorry, Kathy oh, Tyler says, AU Charlie was Sam talking to himself. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, it For, was. I and that's, see that's that. kind of the point yeah. of that whole interaction. Two birds, one stone. You're fleshing out a new character that's here. We're dealing with it. Mm-hmm. At the same time, we're having Sam work through his own his internal own thoughts. Yeah. yeah. And that's, that's why the supporting character still worked, even if Sam and Dean weren't the focus right. this episode. But the... The fun part of this episode to me was the B-level horror monster, which was definitely a MacGuffin that they used Don't this week. Don't you mean week. fly level? <sighs> Get it, B? Mo- no. No. This is worth a try. And the <laughs> monster this <laughs> that week. Have, that's not worth a try. That was the, that one of the worst <laughs> things you've tried to make happen. I'm going to zoom in on Ryan. You talked about <laughs> Bobby's rotten dick, and that went over better. <laughs> That's a good point. Bobby's Rotten Dick was a good... Oh. That was a good joke. <laughs> this one wasn't good. I, it was a stretch. Fine. Fuck, man. Sorry. So yeah. in this episode, we had the Muska, <laughs> the fly-man hybrid thing, which essentially was It wasn't just, Jeff Goldblum. It wasn't Jeff Goldblum. It was essentially just a, a MacGuffin for this episode. And that works. It's, it's, it's not always necessary to be super plot-relevant. It worked to bring Sam and Dean or Sam and Charlie together. It worked to bring about it was, their story. It was there for a reason. And and for those of you who don't know what a MacGuffin is, in fiction, a MacGuffin is a plot device in the form of a goal, a desired object, or other motivator that the protagonist pursues. Usually, that has zero to do with the actual narrative Nothing. itself. the The MacGuffin's importance to the plot is not the object itself, but rather its effect on the characters. A good example, mainstream-wise, would uh, let's go point to the obvious: Pulp Fiction, the briefcase, the briefcase that you never know what's inside. It really doesn't, doesn't matter, doesn't what's, matter inside. what's inside. It's never simply explained. there to propel the plot. MacGuffins are really cool literary devices if they're used properly. The whole fly thing was definitely a MacGuffin, and I feel like it was used one hundred percent correctly. Yeah. We don't really need to know much about them. They were. It was less about cool. them and more about our immediate character. I mean, look at the explanation of of the Muska in general. Little is known about it. Like, do we're in twenty eighteen? Like, little's known about it. Come on. Well, what you talking about? Hunter it was just, just Hunter wise. The way they explained it, you know, little is known about it until it was unknown if they actually existed. Like. Again, go through the lore okay. so that we so, have it stated. A muska is a hybrid between a man and a fly. Little is known of them, and until 2018, it was unknown if they actually existed due to uh, no one seemingly ever having seen the creatures. 
as they mostly keep to themselves. Every few hundred years, a musket is born that is known as a bad egg. It is when a male fails to find a mate, which is typically me, so I'm probably a musca. Uh, and ultimately, <laughs> that's abandons, why he doesn't like it. Yeah, <laughs> and ultimately abandons its community. The bad egg. Then oh, be- totally. Yeah, that's me. They make fun of Ryan a lot this season. Yeah, I must be. They must be listening to the show. I must be the entertaining. <laughs> Ryan's one. what you call a bad egg. Yes, I must be the entertaining <laughs> one. That's why they keep using me. Uh, the bad well, egg then be- fruit. Yeah, yeah well, whatever. Uh, the- rather be low hanging fruit than no fruit at all. Uh, begins to use people's bodies to nest, binding. You might be able to <laughs> binding them together with a viscous goo. Uh, as a species, musca appear very community minded. They will mourn the loss of their own, including a bad egg who has left them. Uh, lore states that stabbing a musca with a brass nail dipped in sugar water will kill it. However, conventional means. Such as bullets and blades appear to be effective in killing them. All right. I buy it. I mean, the, the way they set it up, yeah, it's a little, you're kind of playing it loose and you're shooting from the hip when you drop yeah. a, a monster like this on yeah. us. But at the same time, it's a MacGuffin and I feel like the the easy explanation works. The fact that little is known about them and for the most part, they are in hiding. They stay to themselves. Right. Except every couple hundred years. I feel like that explains explanation by way of lore i think it works absolutely the thing is to me it reminds me very much of the original season and some of or the first season and where some of the stories were inspired by which is urban legends we know a lot of people know the story of mothman and and some of those other bug-like creatures and to take something straight from hollywood's more famous body horror examples of the fly that, I think it worked. It was fun. It didn't need to, because it is a MacGuffin, it didn't need to serve any greater purpose. It didn't need to be explained that much. It did have a point. It uh, did. Yeah. yeah. It wasn't there for no reason. They, they themselves, as a creature, didn't have that much of a point, but it brought Sam and Charlie together, and that's what we want. And it's, what I said earlier in this episode was that the ending of this got me in a way I didn't expect. I cried for the, I cried for the fly man. No. It's. I didn't expect it to be as somber at the end of this episode. It was pretty morbid and intentionally done so. The he obvious, cried. He cried for the fly man. <laughs> the obvious reason for it being morbid and, and the death at the end is Charlie. It was pretty heavy-handed, the metaphor they went for, with her having lost somebody and needing to be optimistic. Yeah. But at least this. they call themselves out on they that. They do. It's pretty, hey, on the nose. Look she at literally this. says, I like your use of the metaphor, but no. Right. So they call themselves out. They were intentionally using that metaphor, and it was heavy-handed. And I always say, hey, you could almost do anything if you call yourself yeah, out at the yeah, same yeah. time. But I think it worked. And I, I, I agree with you, Thomas. It was morbidly sad, and it was intended to because it was about, it was about Charlie. That's what it was about more than anything. Absolutely. It was. And in some ways I got a little concerned because I'm like, is this foreshadowing that she'll be optimistic and then things will go wrong again? Yeah. <laughs> I don't know, but I liked that. They, they talk, they, they show that there's more to the monsters culture in a way. It's, it's something that we hadn't seen Perhaps forever. I just think that that scene was very much like Predator 2 when they pick up the Predator and like walk off. I was like, dude, it looked like they took it straight from the fucking movie. They were like, oh, let's pick him up and carry him off. Like it, that's ex- So for me, I, like that's the first thing I thought of was Predator 2. Like at the end when they pick the, the, the Predator. Up yes, and, take, and take away. I was like, dude, they stole this from Predator 2. Like, come well, on. Well, I mean, like, it's, it's obviously inspired by some of those schlockier yes. movies. And not to say Predator 2 is that schlocky by comparison to the original fly which actually is just like the dude in the mask 
But it, it did speak volumes, I think, not just of opening the lore for Supernatural, showing that monsters of any kind have burial rites, have even somebody who's well, been adds- cast out of their community, they respect it enough to come back and retrieve his body, give him final rights kind of thing. That is something we very much associate only with humans. Monsters, for the most part, as we see, they die and the other ones around them, vampires, werewolves, what have you, just kind of move on. They may get upset because you killed one of their family members, but it's they leave the body in the street and they well, run away into the night. Well, this adds to the lore of the musket too because how did, if he was cast out or he left, right, his mm-hmm. community, how did they know that he was dead? Do they have a link to each other to know that, one of their own had died. So you're adding a, a little bit of mystery to this character. And, and I don't think this will be the last we actually see of them. I think by adding that funeral kind of procession to it made, it actually added questions to this actual monster. I liked it because it added some depth to the monsters. And I think that's something that's going to be big. We've already seen it be pretty big this season. Monsters have been retooled to be the primary focus, whether that's right. making them more powerful or more relatable in some way. We've had a couple of monsters throughout the years that were people trying to live a normal life that obviously couldn't. But with season 13's breakdown, we know how much larger that population is, how much more widespread they are. And this showing that they have some sense of community or empathy for even a bad egg, it, it I thought that was pretty touching. I thought that was bringing humanity to something that literally isn't human. I thought that Yoki did a great job with that. But beyond that, it's what it could represent for this season coming forward. The The idea that these monsters come together for somebody who passed or or even was cast out or viewed as wrong in their culture, could this be something that we need to worry about or consider with the hunters and our main characters, they've clearly come together this season in a way that we've never seen before. They're organized. There's teammates. They got fucking GoPros and body cams to talk about. They have a buddy system. Do the hunters need to come together in a way that they've never done before? Strength in numbers. If we are building a war of monsters versus hunters, we're going to need to change our tactics. Yeah. When they, again, looking at the heavy handed aspect and of the whole Musica the and metaphor between him and Charlie, all of that. They're not just doing it simply for this episode and not just exclusively right. for Charlie. There's got to be a bigger reason why the bigger picture of, of season 14 is probably connected in some way to the subtext of what the monsters were doing and the idea of community and staying Unity. together and, and what happens when you do fall apart and mm-hmm. become that bad egg to where you're no longer a part of the community and needing others to survive. Which that can bleed into our, maybe not the big villain, but our current big villain, which is Michael. He is very much an army of one. He is not part of the angels. We know heaven is in its last fucking legs and he has done nothing to help. He's gone and helped monsters become more powerful because he doesn't think he needs anybody else. He, in many respects, is a bad egg to the angel community at this time. Yes, he's from another dimension, but still he wasn't kind or brotherly to any of them, far more than the Michael that is of our universe. He is the anomaly. He is the bad egg. He absolutely is the bad egg because angels have been misguided at times, but outright ignorant, ignorant naive, 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 uh, is mis- probably the misguided, best. 
But outright evil no. with intent on destruction and mayhem, that's not them. Michael is the bad egg. He is the rarity. And that's why I'm wondering if maybe there was an even more nuanced approach to this metaphor or subtext with the with the monsters. Are they trying to say something about Michael himself? I mean, we also have that part using people's bodies to nest. Mm -hmm. We still don't know what Michael's doing exactly with monsters or even Dean for that matter. There are correlations that are either directly or indirectly being drawn. And, and tying it into the the article that they've talked about with wanting to bring back Adam, we know Adam became the vessel for Michael at the end of season five. We know Michael could bring him back to life. That would be a way in which you could explain some of that away. But using other people's bodies to make a home could fit into that even. Yeah. And honestly, if you look at the the things they're doing with this season, they're not letting any character just sit. They're yes. fleshing them Everything's out. Everything's getting, yep. So Michael at some point needs yep. to have his due. We need to understand this Michael because last season we don't know him at all. I think we'll get know. He is so one-dimensional. We, yeah. we know nothing about his character. What What is driving him? And I feel like this may be some setup to that because at some point before Michael leaves, we're going to need to learn about him. I, I just I don't want it to be a monologue. And I think that's no. my biggest. I, I, it, I think if they do things like what we saw in this episode, a right. lot, like using monsters to explain well, how people either foreshadowing or things that people are going through. If they are smart about it, they don't need to sit us down and be like, all right, boys and girls, this is what I've gone through. I've gone through and this is why I'm doing this. We don't need those moments and I don't right. think we're going to get that. No, and I don't think so either. But you're right, Michael. Uh, Michael has to absolutely be fleshed out. and Because and there's no understanding. There's, yeah. Like, oh, you're just doing this for because you want to? Like, that's not how it works, man. Why are you so intent? Like, you, yeah. you're so you're such a zealot. Okay, I can get behind that. You're a radical. I can understand that. That makes that's sense. Easy. But, but what radicalized Why? Why? There's got to be a reason Especially why. at this point, when you've seen the, the fertility, the minimalistic nature that is your existence, when there's infinite dimensions. There, there are certain characters that don't need a why. It's, we never ask Lucifer, oh, why? You know, like, but we know. With yeah. Michael, it's different because you know, we've always been taught and read the Bible that Lucifer wants to you know, take down man. Okay, that, well, you know what I mean. <laughs> that, that, that makes sense. Okay? We didn't need exposition. We didn't need But if Michael's it. so far off the but why is this Michael so far off? Yes. Why? We have yeah. to know why. And if we don't know, if they don't tell us, it's a travesty. I mean, it's a, it's a far cry from the angels we've had. Even the more militant yeah. ones, uh, they, weren't were, like this. They, they weren't going to bat an eye if they needed to wipe out a town. But wiping off entire civilization, it wasn't their thing. Even, even, Met, even Metatron didn't want to kill yeah. all of human race. In fact, do you, do you remember in season 11 when he was actually crying because God wanted to destroy his beautiful creations that yeah. he's jealous of? So we've never had an angel quite like this. And mm -hmm. and that that's why I keep going back and I keep and maybe I pick this out with the monster situation because I've been going through each moment in the episode seeing when they're going to shed some light mm -hmm. on not just what Michael's doing, but what's his intentions? Like why right. is he doing it? The, right. I, I always ask, I always put that question mark when I'm doing my show notes. The why. There's yeah. always got to be a why. Has to be, right? I, I'm not saying you need to create sympathy. We don't need one of those. Uh, Doesn't need to be sympathetic. Rob Zombie Halloween moments where they suddenly explain why Michael Myers is a killer. I'm just saying we need to understand the why. We don't need to have empathy. We don't need to feel for him. 
Just let us know what, what, what radicalized him. Why is he so intent on doing what he did in his universe again over here? Yep. But slightly different because he realized he, he didn't do it the right he way. He did it the shitty way the first time. Yeah. yeah. So I'm telling you, because we haven't seen him, I'm, I'm urging people to look at everything what we are seeing in these episodes as well as the upcoming episodes. And I'm willing to bet you'll be able to see some clues. Well, especially when we look at how there's only 20 episodes this season. And as you said, every supporting character has been utilized, not just there like they were in season 13, but actually utilized to drive the story forward. Whether mm-hmm. that's Sam and Dean or currently it seems Jack getting a little bit of a mini arc for season 14 and what, what he's going to be doing shortly or not doing shortly. Spoilers. Each one of them is, again, those building blocks, there's clues that seems like they are – very aware that they are building a mystery and we're curious and asking questions for the right reasons. Now the horror in this episode was definitely that creature horror, specifically insect, a very popular subgenre from the fifties through the eighties, very corny, very low budget stuff back in the day. But, and it's usually given, you know, it's silly throwaway stuff, but it's, it's got its own, Fans, it's got its own camp appeal, I think, more than anything else. The most infamous example of this has got to be The Fly with Jeff Goldblum, though, which actually isn't even campy. That one's just fucking horrifying. It's horrifying, just gross scenes in that movie, dude. Ryan, can you bring up the list here? Because we have a list of... Yes. Just to give people an idea of what these 50s through 80s schlocky B-film insectoid... Movies. monster movies are all about because this wasn't seen, this is a list of like this was just, an homage i've seen all of them and have you really of, of course come on i'm a movie buff because those there's are the some people of them are bad oh some of them are These bad are but there's a charming aspect to all of them okay so you want me to go from the bottom to the top or top to bottom I it doesn't matter do. some okay. people aren't going to know most of them. all right well i like when you work from the bottom up oh, oh all right well that's where we'll start all right 26 uh i'm just going to start at 20, 25 Oh my gosh. Uh, I'm not <laughs> reading the whole I'm not reading the whole thing. Uh the strange world of strange world of planet X, Infestation, Mosquito Man, The Bees, Mimic 3, Sentinel, can't forget that. What a great film. Uh Black Swarm, Beginning of the End, Mimic 2, uh The Wasp Woman. Now we explain what the picture of that is though. Which one? It's a wasp Woman. It's literally a woman it's a woman's head on a wasp body. <laughs> Wow, genius. <laughs> That's what we're Mon- talking about when we Mon- say this. Monster from Green Hell. Not Blue Hell, Green Hell. Green, yes, yes. Uh, phase 5, uh, Phenomena, The Black Scorpion, Ticks, Killer Bees. <laughs> yeah, I've seen all these. You've the Naked these. Jungle. It Happened at Lakewood Manor, The Fly 2, The Deadly Mantis, uh, Empire That's just like of a the Godzilla Ants. Mantis, basically, isn't yes. it? Yes. The Fly, now this was uh, 1958 with uh, Vincent Price. Uh, them, which was... Literally giant ants in yes. 1954. Uh, the Swarm with Michael Caine. Oh. Mimic the original. That's a good movie. That actually is a good movie. Now it's got Josh Brolin in it. Uh, and th- number one, The Fly. Now, how come uh, Arachnophobia is not on this? I, it might be on the other page. Is it Really? It would be that low? The, the thing is that these insect creature horror films go from anything from arachnophobia, which is a great movie, which is just incredibly deadly spiders, which Supernatural referenced in Bugs back in season yeah, one. Yeah, that's true. 
all the way to giant Godzilla level like them, which is just ants have attacked. Oh no! Oh no! Let's run and and it's, it's the closest zoomed up picture of an ant and or a fake, not animatronic, but like puppet basically, and over a screen, a separate film reel of people running it from nothing it's, it's so it's 1950s, like the, the corniest dude. thing you can do but then some of them too like the original 1958 fly where it's the same story as the jeff goldblum a man with a transportation or teleportation device gets a fly in the other one he doesn't know this is a immediately body parts are switched it's very corny he's got like a mask and a claw hand Arr. and he doesn't talk so it's you got to take it for what it is. But yeah. I still remember the end scene with the human head and arm on the fly body trapped in the web. Spoilers. As a spider comes up and this haunting kill me, kill me phrase or help me. It was as the spiders come up to eat him and then the guys just crush it with a rock because they see what it is like. It's Gross. corny, but that scene, if you watch it and aren't creeped out just a little bit. You might be dead inside. Yeah. And of course, Jeff Goldblum's The Fly is. Dude, that one's just gross, dude. I just love that they're hearkening back to the cinema to use those pieces of pop culture as a way to craft new monster stories, using those sources as inspiration to create something a little more unique to the world of supernatural. I love the B film genre. Some of it's shitty, some of it's excellent. But all of it's charming in its own way. It's it's a representation of a time period when movies were a little more simplistic. Yeah. Um, I I love that. And that's something that I will highly praise Dab for. Andrew Dab, even during the seasons, season 13 and 12, bring especially this year so far, bringing back that B-film vibe uh, that's reminiscent of the earlier seasons. It's uh, very Seasons Kripke-esque. one through three. So he didn't use B film too much. He used other subgenres of horror. There were some few Things moments he where he liked, did, but he had right. an appreciation for film, for the cinema, absolutely. Yeah. And so that's see, what it's really about. Yeah. So to see them use that as a foundation for so many episodes, as a as a form of set dressing and and motif, uh, that's a win for me every single time. If you think like this and you think outside the box and you use these these sources of inspirations, that's a win for me because you're trying to do something different and you're capturing the very reason why we're watching TV today. Mm -hmm. You're capturing the classics that pave the way for this type of entertainment. Well, and the truth is too, it was pretty much just a mask and some, you know, some clothes, clever camera work. But I, I loved the monster. It was creepy. It was B camp horror, but it was well done. Mm-hmm. The mask and the, the the makeup done to that still does look very good. It could have been very corny with just I, I can never remember the name of it. But do you remember the the spider monster back in season six with Solus Sam, the Arachni? I think it was. I think it was just so, kind of yeah. the guy had multiple eyes. I like that this went for the B route to give us something different, to give us something that would have to hide in the shadows. And we've said before that a lot of monsters in Supernatural recently had been different color eyes to the point where we had to write or confirm that we're running out of colors, sharp teeth, and they transformed a little bit. To have something that is truly a monster from right. the Roger Corman era, I, I liked that. It worked for me. I'm like, you know what? I'll have fun with this. We've never seen them. They're so rare that they don't show up often. Let's go with it. It, it pays homage in a way that Kripke would do himself. And I liked that. 
even if it is corny. <laughs> Very corny. Yeah, but it works. So now for those of you guys who don't know, for more than 20 years, Entertainment Earth has been the source of the newest and most exciting action figures, toys, and collectibles, helping people bring Hollywood home. From Star Wars and Star Trek to DC's terrifying trinity of Batman, Superman, and Wonder Woman, Marvel Comics, fantastic cast of the Avengers and X-Men, Transformers, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, The Walking Dead, Game of Thrones, and even the Big Bang Theory, and most importantly, Supernatural. Whatever your pop culture possession or passions, Entertainment Earth is the collectible toy store to help you celebrate each one. So help keep this show alive and the lights on in this studio by purchasing items through our affiliate banners and promotions on our website, as well as other ones we push through social media. So every live show, we will launch one new product that we have chosen to spotlight to be sure to take a look at and for you guys to purchase. And it adds to your collection. It helps us. Who doesn't want something like that? And this week is the Supernatural Sam Winchester Mini Master PVC statue from Quantum Mechanics. Now, Mike, can you describe this one just a little bit? It's it's an action figure, correct? It's a uh, five and a half inch collectible figure. Um, it's uh, it's actually pretty cool, man. Uh, it's got a pretty cool pose from Sam. Um, it's very high detail. Yes, inspired by the TV series supernatural fans you guys won't want to miss this awesome figure and it'll look good on your desk it's a definite talking point at the office so for that guys we have a link we will push out again entertainment earth check it out supernatural sam winchester mini master pvc statue from quantum mechanics which also the holidays are coming up so there's no reason not to check that out buy it for me and send it to me buy it for ryan and send it to him because his dad's on his home aren't cluttered yes. enough with stuff use our link to buy it and then send it to me it can go on this desk right here next yeah. to these supernatural funkos that always fall off the desk because we always knock well them over. you know i'm just gonna get some tape now because you keep knocking them over like a wildebeest i'm the wildebeest <laughs> <laughs> okay all right all right so we've talked about the first half of this episode pretty in depth the second half was dean and jack's storyline and a, a few things came from this but a lot of it was seemingly just a distraction while they set things up for later jack hasn't been seen since he was coughing up blood right we know he's he's antsy and wants to prove himself he's seen a few times that he still has the mind of a hunter if not the abilities of the nephilim that he is so we went with a different story this time which was a little bit of a romance to your earlier point ryan that that's what we needed richard spade to do we had that for a little bit a romantic comedy with him like pulling out the holy water and like pouring it on his hands, just in the middle of the floor, it looks like he had to have peed on the floor. I mean, like <laughs> so much of that felt like something straight out of a rom com. It was. I mean, him dropping the the coin and making her pick it up. I mean, it was. You know, him going in the bathroom to call Dean and and say, "Oh, you know, I need, I need no- to know everything about sex. Go!" Like that was the best line, dude. I I <laughs> was fucking dying. It was. It was good. I mean, it. it um, I guess it did have a few rom-com kind of moments at that point. It was a fun story, but it was a bizarre story it at the took same a time. Bizarre turn. A psychopath necromancer who's completely unhinged as a human being. And it it did have some funny moments this week. Again, Jack saying, "Tell me everything about sex. Go." Like his delivery when he's at the counter in the rest in the restaurant 
saying, oh, that's before you have the sex. Dude, <laughs> like, oh, I like the that fact. That reminded me of Castiel so much. I love the fact that the waitress is like, or sometimes you just have the sex. I was like, dang, give me her number. I, I loved how that was so much like Castiel. Alexander Calvert has, has channeled Misha Collins' performance yes. perfectly. But the, essentially the comedic elements, the, the other side of the story were – a distraction. They didn't really amount to anything as far as the story is considered. It was just some fun bits. And if anything, leading up to a character that will make a return as perhaps a villain slash romantic villain to like a Catwoman kind of thing. In the I just wanted him to, to lay Jack. pipe, dude. He should have <laughs> let him lay pipe, dude. Like, just let him try to like, and just do an awkward scene where he can't figure out what he's supposed to do. Like, come on, just give it to us. That would have been funny. You guys realize that Jack's going to die and she's going to bring him back, it, right? Well, let's, no. you know. Really? I don't yeah. think So you introduce happen. a necromancer. She's that, not going to kill him, dude. No, I'm not saying she's going to kill she's him. She's not going to kill I'm him. Saying he might die. He's dying. That's obvious. He's been bleeding out of his mouth and nose <laughs> for, for the weeks. last five episodes. He's got the, he's got some kind of unless know, the, the, unless respiratory TB. infection. Okay. okay. TB. <laughs> like for <laughs> circa 1855. <laughs> There's no reason to bring, as you said, Mike, there's no reason to bring a necromancer in that's not snuffed by the end of the episode without her powers coming into play. Later. She's true. Kate from season eight. You wrap these people. <laughs> you, you don't you don't Kate leave them open ended. She's not that interesting. The, the necromancer aspect is very interesting, but her as a character, eh, I mean, I can do without her. I, so there's a point. There's a point as to why they are choosing to keep her around. And I feel like it's going to play out. I, well, I don't Jack, know if it's going to play out exactly as I'm saying. They may be simply setting up some distraction, making us think that's what they're going to do. And, but why introduce a character that's a necromancer, have her essentially have a crush on Jack. Jack is dying. Jack passed out at the end of the episode with a massive cliffhanger. What's going to happen to Jack? Meanwhile, the necromancing chick who's in love with Jack, who's writing him a fucking love letter saying, I'm going to come and get you, is out in the world just running amok. It's all going to play back into each other. Well, if, it think, do, if it does doesn't, he, it's going to leave us all scratching our head wondering, why the fuck do you have this necromancer chick running around? Well, do you think he's going to actually get to hit it? Or is it oh, like, Jesus. like, that's the important that's part. That's his like, question. I mean, that's my important question. Like, I think you're right, though, Mike, because this season has been so focused on making sure everybody who gets screen time is relevant. To have her be half of an episode with Jack, who's on death's door, essentially, and have it not come into play later, it, it'll either be be a major plot point for Jack's story or it'll be a glaring plot hole. And I think that so far they've done a pretty good job of staying clear of missteps, yeah. deliberate missteps. Yeah. Everything is, uh, is there for a reason this season so far. So I can't imagine them just dropping the ball and saying, eh, whatever. Well, especially we'll see with her in the- four seasons around episode or season 20, episode 15. <laughs> we'll bring her back. <laughs> And um, Jack is dead. Yeah. Well, especially with the trailer spoilers, the trailer for the upcoming episode being like this bucket list last hurrah kind of thing. It does paint a rather ominous picture for Jack. And it's it's maybe it is some lore based thing with his grace being born in Nephilim. He's literally missing part of his DNA at this point. Right. Who fucking knows? There's all kinds of potential for that. It's a strong way to take a powerful character off the board while allowing Jack as a 
human as a person to grow at the same time. It'll be interesting to see what exactly they do with that. But I don't think a necromancer who's obsessed with him getting away is all for naught. That's that's got to come back into play. I still just want to know if he's going to bang her or not. Okay. Well, that's the only important <laughs> question that I need to know. All right. So outside of the silliness, we did get a few interesting additions to to lore. The ever-changing Dude, zombie lore, it's for one. Different every, it's different every <laughs> but, fucking time. But at this point, it would seem zombies are more or less a byproduct of whatever magic is being used and by who. So in yes. that way, it, it works. It doesn't really mess. One, one new iteration of a zombie doesn't mess up the last because every zombie we see is the byproduct of some other form of magic. So the lore is ever changing because it's more about the actual magic being used, I would yeah, say. It is because when we look at some of the zombies who have been brought about, we have in season two, the children shouldn't play with dead things. She's like a pet cemetery version, which absolutely was the case in season five with the introduction of Jody Mills with her son and the entire town coming back. They're back, but they're not 100% the same because of magic that was brought about by death and Lucifer. Sam Haynes' zombies were much more mindless. We had different ones with, just last season, various and sundry villains, Steve Yoki again. It was this decaying, mindless, rabid monster that was coming for Rowena or whomever that the sisters could control. They could control it completely. In this version, he's half attack dog half sex but, toy i don't even know <laughs> like, I, I mean the thing is he, but he's he's different. but he's coherent he can talk he has he he's can, completely control of his faculties yeah he doesn't except for his eyes doesn't seem to be get decaying as long as he eats human flesh Yummy. he stays sentient sane so, what mind. have you but i think you're absolutely right mike one of those is an you know an cosmic entity of death one of those is a necromancer. One of them is a separate spirit or pagan god with Sam Hain. It really truly depends. The Black Grimoire in season 13, it depends on what you used. Yeah. Which both can, it's a soft retcon in a way. It doesn't change the lore, and it, but it establishes why each version is so different. Right. It's well thought out. So if he eats her out, does he? Oh, for God's sake. I'm just curious, like, does he? does he get some... Of his functions back, or oh how does that God. work? Like that's still eating, right? No, if you're if you're doing it like it's, that, you're it's eating flesh, right? Doing it wrong. You're Jesus not actually God. consuming anything. <laughs> Again, do not take sexual advice or medical <laughs> advice from Ryan. Hey, I, I know how to eat a bitch yeah. out. <laughs> oh my God, you're actually eating me! <laughs> oh my God, <laughs> you're such an animal. It's a I new ate horror a vagina story. with some fava all beans. Right, all right. Oh. We, we also saw a new type of necromancer, right? Yeah, yeah, for the yeah, first time, I a mean, true just general necromancer. I like that because we heard what Harper say that she was from a long line of necromancers, and that immediately got my lore boner going. <laughs> Does this mean there's right. a family out there that wields some type of unholy magic? Like the Steins, perhaps, but with yeah. necromancy? I was happy with this. Yeah. Absolutely was. See, while we're, while we're trying to figure out solutions to the story mm-hmm. and try to, you know, really dissect and and uh, break down moments and visual subtext and the narrative, Ryan is trying yep. to figure out if, so I'm, how much pussy if I'm a zombie if and I'm going down, <laughs> are you? Does that mean I'm eating you? <laughs> 
fucking simple. Such a simple man. <laughs> you know, everyone brings different things to this show, Mike. It's why I'm here, dude. Come on. <clears throat> You're like the Andrew Dab of the show. <laughs> I'm just not fat. Oh, come on. Don't say That's that. That's the only difference? <laughs> okay, stop. We don't, oh, we man, don't know what he looks like. Lies. <laughs> I just, uh, I, I, how do we know what he looks like? Have you ever met him? Dude, I've Googled what he looks like. Come on. Don't, you shouldn't make fun of someone's appearance. <laughs> yeah. Anyways, I think that I agree with, I agree with Mike though. The, the fact that we actually got a full blown necromancer, mm-hmm. that's not some kind of weird, you know, offshoot or, or I don't know what that was, but. It wasn't just the Thule. Or, the Thule no, had their it, own agenda. This is this is the first time we've actually seen a straight-up necromancer. And I think that's, again, adding to the lore of Supernatural, That's the first. this is the first time we've actually seen one. So I think, and for her to be a complete psychopath, actually added to the character to begin with. But this actually adds to, like Mike said, if she is part of a long line of Wait, hold on a second. This is going to add to your... Okay, so I like how Nicole Clark writes, anyone else throw up in their mouth when she kissed the zombie? Okay, <laughs> then two comments later, they should have had her take some flesh out of her mouth after she kissed him. Leftovers from his dinner. I'm like... <laughs> oh, see? see, people are asking the right questions. But I just like that she was grossed out. And then, then added, she to, added it. to it. Yeah. <laughs> God damn. <laughs> That's I, gross, but maybe she should take some flesh out. I mean... It'd be more realistic and make more right. sense. It's horrifying. But while we're here, let's make it right. <laughs> is this is this a finger? <laughs> oh, that would be kind she of She finds it inside she, of her. Oh, why? oh my God. Why? <laughs> why, Ryan? That makes no it's sense. It's a line. Every time there's a line. <laughs> she poops out a nail. <laughs> <laughs> Jesus Christ. Who crossed the line now? All right. All right. Oh, man. I'm going to cry. You know what? Defecating is natural part of existence <laughs> defecating human parts i don't know so much oh man all right <laughs> before we get to some, some facebook opinions ryan let's do some final thoughts ryan what do you what, give this why episode? are you hiding who are you hiding from somebody oh i'm just it's laughing. his own shame if that was a thing there is no shame there isn't. what are you talking about ryan what do you give this episode overall um and e. that, <laughs> for ejaculation oh this my is God. <laughs> I would say I don't know. Out. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> A C so for ch- cunnilingus. <laughs> What's that? <laughs> Jesus Christ. <laughs> Define cunnilingus. Uh, anyways, uh, got a little tear in my eye. Um, I would actually. I'm gonna say that this was actually probably our out of the episodes that we've reviewed so far for this season. This is actually going to be our lowest rated one, at least for me. Um, I'm going to give this one a B minus. So I enjoyed the episode. I liked what they did with um, the two separate stories. I think this is the first time we've done that this season. Um, I love fleshing out Jack and, and adding to his character with, with this story with the necromancer. I also enjoy the naiveness of the character. I think we talk about that a lot with him and, and like channeling that Castiel kind of vibe. But ultimately, it was hard for it's still hard for me to look at Charlie and, and be really interested in her character. I, I like Felicia Day. I just don't really care about Charlie in general. 
Uh, so even if it is Apocalypse or, or fake Charlie, whatever the hell you want to call her, I just don't really care. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I, and, I, and I do like B-level movies, but I, I think this was kind of weirdly placed to me. And what I mean by that is not just the way the monster looked, but just the overall like, oh, he's wearing all black with a bug screen on his head. Like, dude, if that person doesn't stand out in real life, like I don't. Right. So I think there was a couple things that I just were a little weird for me. And I don't mean it in a bad way. It didn't ruin the episode. I just think this was our first kind of slow episode of the season. Um, so for me, a B minus, I did like the episode, not saying I didn't like it. I just, I think there were a couple aspects that I just, I wasn't really in tune. It wasn't strong for you. Yeah. And I think, um, but that's okay. I mean, we, we, we're not going to have a pluses all the way across the board. It's just not going to happen. So, um, but ultimately I like what they did. I love, I liked Dean and, and Jack working together. That was actually pretty cool. Um, so again, uh, just a B minus for me. All right, Mike, what about you? Final thoughts? For this season overall, or you, or you got a mouthful right now <laughs> of what? I don't know. Um, I enjoyed this episode for what they were trying to do with it. I feel mm-hmm. like there was a lot of things there that you have to really look for. Uh, there are also some moments that were a bit heavy handed. What they might have wanted to balance that out a bit with some of the things that they were obviously saying, uh, with the things that they were saying subtly. There could have been a little bit more of a balance. Uh, Steve Yoki always does great episodes for me. But honestly, I have to say that for both Richard Spate and Steve Yoki, this is not their strongest episode. Mm-hmm. Did I enjoy it? Yes. And I felt like it was a good addition to this season. Uh, it's not a weak episode, but definitely not their strongest episodes. I'd probably say it's one of their weaker episodes. But I love the be horror aspect. I love the... The use of the B-film genre as uh, inspiration yet again. And uh, I'm hoping we get more Richard Spate in that uh, director's chair, right? I think that we have to. I think he has a great sense of of, of style. And uh, seeing him paired up with Yoki this week was fun. All right. So B for B-minus for B-horror movies? Wait, what? I didn't give it a grade. Yeah, I know. I'm giving it one for you. Oh, yeah. I don't grade episodes. Yeah, I know because you're a wiener. <laughs> so I think I agree with both of you. I, I think Ryan, you're right. This is perhaps the weakest episode we've had. And as Mike said, not to say that it's a bad one. It's just, no, it's not, not Richard Spate or Steve Yoki's best work. And I think some of that well, comes look at from the body of work they've done. They've done some, some great shit. Yeah. <laughs> so I think it's simply from a fact that Sam and Dean aren't the focus. We're focusing, we're telling a Jack and Charlie story. With some characters that at the moment don't ultimately serve any purpose. The Muska, while cool, is a MacGuffin. You know, uh, the Harper sales character as a necromancer is interesting and, and quirky, batshit, crazy. Perhaps fun down the road, but didn't serve anything other than being a funny distraction for Jack to give some great fucking one-liners. But overall, we didn't really push anything forward. We didn't learn a little bit more about michael's story or plan we didn't hear about nick there's some foreshadowing but that's there's about some it. foreshadowing but that's about it overall it's 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 fun but it doesn't move anything forward it doesn't do anything dramatic or different for us other than reestablish a character because they needed to because season 13 didn't and give us a little bit of insight mm-hmm. to jack but not in a way that pushes his deliberate story forward it really just kind of shows where he's at as we circle around on this whole, you can't blame yourself for what happened at the end of season 13 mantra, which we as an audience already kind of know that. So we're just 
waiting to see where we go from here. So I think for that, it's a, it's a B minus episode as well, but it's still fun either way. And I think with that guys, we're, we're pretty much wrapping up here. We've got another episode of supernatural after Thanksgiving. We've got a whole week off to celebrate the holiday season. But then Ryan, can you give us a quick synopsis of the upcoming episode on November 29th? Yes. Uh, on human nature is the title. Um, Sam and Castiel track down a shaman uh, who may be able to help a friend. Nick continues to spiral down a dark path as he looks for answers surrounding the deaths of his wife and son. Jack turns to Dean for uh, help enjoying the human experience. Uh, this was uh, John Showalter directed and Eugenie Rosslemming and Brad Buckner are the writers. It's nice to see that Nick's coming back into play. He's perhaps one of the things that I think we've all been very, very curious about from how fucking dark that went so quickly. That took a weird turn, right? Yeah, his story, something we thought and kind of groaned about when we first saw him is now one of the things we're most interested about. And Eugenie Ross Lemming and Brad Buckner have definitely been major players in Lucifer's story. And and they've been stepping their game up. They have. Their game I'm, up I'm glad you mentioned that because they absolutely have. Dramatically. So I am looking forward to that. And John Showalter, we, we've loved his work forever. Yep. So that part I'm looking forward to. That'll be great. And it'll be fun to see Castiel back at it again. The Dean Jack bit that we saw from the trailer definitely looks like the comedic humor. But I could, I could definitely see them going a bit of a Meredith Glynn somber, depressing aspect if what looks like may be happening with Jack's mortality really coming into play. But that is going to be November 29th, so a week off to enjoy the Thanksgiving holiday. Only three episodes left for the mid-season finale before we have to wait two months or a month and a half. I'm not certain. Not even that this year. No shit. The episode comes back January 18th. Damn. Damn, Daniel. Yeah, January 18th. They're not fucking around this year. 20 episodes, shorter breaks, going right at it. Yeah. But I like to go right at it. With Sometimes that, if you wait too long, it's not as exciting. It's not as exciting. Yeah. yeah. You're not as hard. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Thank you for that. All right. So with that, that's going to wrap it up here for Supernatural The Crossroads. I know we'll wrap it up. We want to thank each and every one of you who are listeners, dedicated listeners, and we'll see you all after the holiday. You little maggot. You are no longer a part of this story. Hey. Ass butt.